Welcome back to another episode of Care More About Sports. I'm Willie. And I'm Kate. And I live with Willie. And if I am not into the sports that are happening, Willie will tell me to care more. I'm more invested when I know about the interesting facts or stories about the athletes so that I have reasons to root for them. This is the podcast where we discuss those reasons and Willie tries to convince me to care more about sports. And this week, like always, we'll start with a recap of what we talked about watching last week. And we got some great feedback from listeners last week, though Kate vehemently disagrees with one comment. Yeah, that's true. So we were talking about the NBA Finals, and one of the things that I enjoyed learning about was that Chris Paul has a uh, side sport, um, a second pastime, if you will. I guess basketball is not a pastime. Um, More of a career, I'd say. Anyway, so Chris Paul has a strong interest in bowling, and I thought that was kind of a cool, fun fact. And I said that bowling is more of a sport than cornhole. And a listener disagreed with me. I think that's exactly where you went wrong. You drew the ire of our... Um, listeners, because uh, you attack like it felt like you were attacking cornhole, which I don't think was your intention. I think you're trying to say that bowling's more established, it's been going on longer, and so forth. But I think the words that came out of your mouth was like, Oh, yeah, it's totally a sport compared to cornhole. That's no, not an exact quote. I don't think that's an exact quote <laughs> or exact intonation okay. of what I said, but I think I said. And I stand by this, that cornhole is not a sport. Okay. I Are you going to... I am doubling down on this. I'm sorry to listener Theo. You're dead to our listeners. You get to have your opinion. But cornhole is a yard game. And a yard game, a lawn game. That's what it is. Cornhole is a lawn game. Yes. And a lawn game is not a sport. Okay. It's a game that you play in the backyard. Okay. How do you think bowling started? Well, not in a backyard. Pretty oh sure gosh, it started as a lawn game. <laughs> uh, That's just my guess. But anyways. I'm uh, just saying. We appreciate the feedback and we hope yes. listeners keep uh, tweeting at us or uh, commenting. And it's okay to disagree. It is. Thank you, listener Theo. <laughs> but as far as the primary topic of last week, we talked about the NBA finals and uh, we have an update for you. Two yeah. games later, we have a champion. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks won uh, in six games, um, and they were pretty good. Games five and six mm-hmm. were certainly worth watching. Uh, they were much closer games uh, with some just fire runs um, and what's being called one of the best NBA Finals game performances ever, that being Giannis's game six scoring 50 points in a dominant fashion. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen like, Damian Lillard put up 50 points, but this just looked different. Yeah. Like the efficiency of Giannis, he, it looks like he's playing against middle schoolers sometimes. Yeah. And I, I have to say, you know, I was rooting for the Phoenix Suns. Um, and you know, that's just sort of a hazard of tending to root for the underdog is that you usually will lose. Yes. Um, but I kind of came around to your perspective, uh, that you shared last week that, you know, it's cool to see greatness and Giannis is just showing that. And so I was happy that, you know, he really got to demonstrate what he can do and dominate out there. Yeah. So even if I couldn't win, it was still a good show. Right. Um, and the Suns put up a good fight. 
I think. I think oh, that's absolutely. respectable, very much. Um, I know a few things. If a few things would have changed here, I mean, and they almost made it change at the end of the um, uh, game five. Like mm-hmm. they could have been, uh, you know, protecting their home court and then have game six with some momentum, or possibly go back um, home for game seven. Like it, it really could have gone the other way. Yeah. Um, and so your, uh, prediction, you know, that whoever wins the first away game wins the series was true. Congratulations. It wasn't my exact prediction. Um, oh. it was that the series actually begins when a road team wins. I see. Okay. Um, and it certainly began again and then it ended. <laughs> well, I was going to juxtapose that against my bold prediction, um, which I'm sad to say game five did not come true. I had predicted that if Mikhail Bridges scored double digits, then the Suns would win. And unfortunately, I was wrong. He did his part, scored 13 points, but they lost. Um, And then in game six, he only scored seven, and they lost. So I was like half right, but still a loser. And to give you credit, looking at the stat line from game five, uh, Mikhail Bridges was much more efficient than he uh, had been in other games. So he only took like five or six shots um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to games one and two where he was in the double digits. It just so happened that he made them. He he was three for three from three point range. And so he was, he was just really efficient. If the shots didn't go down, your prediction would have been right on. It's very gracious of you. Thank you. Co-host Willie. You are almost right. (laughs) I was half right. Um, And then the last recap, don't think there's much to discuss, but our guy, John Rom, uh, tried to fight back in the last mm. round. He ended up tied for third in the Open Championship, which is honorable, but uh, he did not win. Colin Morikawa won his second major of his career. I had forgot that he won the PGA Championship, and so now he has the PGA Championship and the Open. In today's episode, we get to preview the Summer Olympics and talk about what we are watching for. Yes, it's finally here. Finally. A long wait. It's the longest, (laughs) you could say. longer than usual. It's the longest it's ever been. (laughs) We know that we just, we're only a mere three years removed from a uh, Winter Olympics. Um, But we are both fans of the Summer Olympics and had to wait five years for that. It is being hosted in Tokyo, Japan, uh, and it got close to not happening due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But now, as Tokyo is a mini hotspot, the games are moving forward. So we can expect to see top competition as usual, but in mostly empty arenas if they stick with the current plans. So it may look remarkably different on TV. I'm curious how NBC will adjust their broadcast to make uh, the viewing experience more normal. Like, I wonder if they're going to do like they did in the 2020 Mm -hmm. NBA Finals where they pump in crowd noise, whether it's on the broadcast or actually in the arena, how the, like, athletes might act differently when they don't have the crowds cheering for them in the same way that they did in years past Mm -hmm. you would you would think though that they all have some experience with this from recent competitions within the last year i would guess so Mm -hmm. um but i think you know i try to put myself in the shoes of olympian where you know most of these uh people have never been to an olympics before this is their first one Mm -hmm. um like i think it's just going to be so different. Who yeah. are they going to wave to during the opening ceremonies? Oh, They're just yeah. going to be walking into an empty stadium, I guess. Yeah. There's definitely got to be some bittersweet moments about that for, for the competitors. But without a doubt, they'll still be enthusiastic being their 
most of their sole chance of bringing home a medal for their country. And so all of the other aspects of the Olympics are still alive. It's just going to look a little bit different. Yeah. So what have you found that's um, particularly interesting to watch for this year? New sports is at the top of my list. Um, and yes. that's, I mean, that's something I always to look for, but I feel like this year they, there's more new sports. And um, they're great. Yeah. I think they'll be fun to watch. I think so too. And so, um, yeah, I kind of wanted to talk with you about what ones you saw and what you're kind of interested in looking for. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I think some of the new sports are, are actually some of the most compelling to me, you know, like usually summer Olympics, I really enjoy gymnastics and we've talked about that in past episodes because we enjoy it so much. So, you know, we'll still be tuning into the gymnastics, of course. Um, We've also really enjoyed diving, mm-hmm. um, so that'll be something that that I like to watch. Yeah, um, um, watch some people dominate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's what that's a sport where they uh, tend to know exactly who's going to win. Yeah, exactly <laughs> from the beginning. But it's still just really cool to see. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll still tune in for some of the usual um, highlights. But um, I'm I'm kind of, I'm excited that softball and and baseball are there, particularly softball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think people sometimes lump those together, but they're fairly different sports, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's obvious differences about field size and ball size and type of pitching and things like that. But I just think softball makes for a much more like fast paced, interesting game because of those factors. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that'll be, that'll be cool to watch. Um, the thing that's, interesting to me though about that is that both softball and baseball will be here this year for the Mm -hmm. 20 what's called the 2020 olympics here in 2021 um but so they're considered a new sport right now but we already know that they are not recommended to be a part of the 2024 olympics so it's going to be kind of a, a brief appearance here um and the paris committee has already said that they don't want to include baseball and softball so yeah. it's i think what's compelling about it is that this is really the one chance for a generation mm-hmm. of folks to participate in these particular sports at at the olympics right and i think it really gives a good opportunity for the united states because we know how usa centric the broadcast is Mm-hmm. for um, U.S. fans to get into softball again. Because I, I just have memories of USA softball getting a lot of attention, you know, when I was in high school and mm-hmm. um, uh, in the 2000s and so forth. And so I, I think that we haven't seen USA softball that much because of its absence from the last couple of games. And so having that on the Olympic stage again, um, having people look forward to that, maybe that will get people back into the game from a, from a fan's standpoint, watch more mm-hmm. college and so forth. Um, and so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then the other thing that the other sport that I was interested in, and I had to read up on this, um, is sport climbing. Mm-hmm. And the reason I had to look into it is because, you know, I'm vaguely familiar with rock climbing and indoor rock gyms and we've gone to them as yeah. a family and stuff. Um, but I was like, how do you make that a competition? I couldn't figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how they did it. And it turns out there are three distinct um, competitions mm-hmm. within the sport. Um, so I thought maybe we could share those some of those details with our listeners so that 
they also know what to look for. Yeah. And so the, I, I also think they're each very unique. Like it's yeah. all climbing skills, but the way that they're being evaluated is just different. So, I mean, first with speed climbing, where the target is to scale a, a 15 meter or 49 uh, foot, if you're the one country that doesn't measure in the metric <laughs> system, a yeah. uh, 15 meter high wall as quickly as possible. Um, and it's apparently an the, identical wall in yes, every competition. every time. So they place the handholds the exact same size in the exact same shape, you know, same spot every time. That's going to be so fast. It's got to be so fast. And actually, I think that about all these events, you know, we've seen people climb before. We've seen people lead climb. We've seen people boulder. Yeah. But they, like... I think that we are in for something because we're going to see it like we've never seen it before. Like when you've seen somebody bolder, like they're being really intentional. They're saving their strength for the rest of their workout or the rest of their climb where this is like the one shot Mm -hmm. to do it while getting evaluated where you have to get the highest or go the fastest and so forth. It's going to be good. Yeah. So the speed climbing is pretty interesting. Just the fact the set course was surprising to me. Um, and then bouldering takes on a, you know, just a really different set of skills. So for this one, the object of bouldering is to scale multiple short, about four and a half meter or 15 feet, mm-hmm. depending on what system you're using, um, challenging routes. So they're shorter, they're more challenging, they're varied. Um, so it's definitely not a, the same mm-hmm. route every time. Yeah. Um, and so they're trying to, to navigate these routes with the fewest attempts in a given amount of time. Um, so it's kind of a combination of the mental task of like figuring out the puzzle, the best way to go about it, as well as the physical strength and balance that's needed to perform the task. Um, and so, yeah, it just seems like kind of an interesting problem solving strategy type physical event yeah and i saw a preview for bouldering and i don't know if it's supposed to like what i saw was going to be exactly how it looks how the wall's set up and so forth but when i think of bouldering we're talking about some pretty probably serious inclines if we're doing a Mm 4.5 meter wall and um sometimes really difficult handholds the promo i saw uh there was a female climber who um got on one of those steep inclines where she was kind of hanging backwards and she just let go of her feet and just scaled with her arms, which is, if you're really climbing out in the wild, you know, that's, that's risky. Um, but it's also, um, a way to get yourself too tired to continue. And so, you know, people always try to get their feet in the best position. I just wonder if some weird stuff's going to go on when you're watching it in, in this uh, type of scenario. Yeah. And I think, I think I read that part of it too, is to, try to use as few moves mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah. Um, so like as few, um, you know, steps or grips to get to travel the distance. Okay. Well, with that, is it going to be purely like numerical? Like, are we going to be able to score at home or is it going to be like ice skating where there's going to be judges and technique and all that? I'm not sure. Um, And so then the last type of uh, sport climbing is lead climbing. So lead climbing is using similar abilities to bouldering, but it also incorporates endurance. Um, It's a unique route, so same as bouldering. It's kind of a unique new Mm -hmm. um, roadmap every time. 
Each climber gets one attempt to ascend as high as they can on the route in six minutes. The climber that reaches the highest hold on the wall, or if multiple climbers get to the top, then the climber that does so in the shortest amount of time is awarded the top rank. So it's like a race to get as high as you can, race to the top. Um, but you also got to do it right. So Yeah. Well, I just think of how how different this is compared to some of the other like skill or racing sports. Mm-hmm. You know, like you take the speed bike. I don't know if the speed bike's in it anymore where they're riding around the little track and so yeah. forth. Where if you get a lap or two behind somebody there's no coming back you know if you're um you know advancing through the rounds and diving or gymnastics and you're down a certain pointage like mm-hmm. it would take the person in front of you really messing up where i think this one um just because of the unique endurance and kind of mental aspect of the thing you could seemingly be very far behind and then with a couple of moves mm-hmm. um be past that person so i think it'll be pretty fun to watch like yeah sport wise yeah and I, I just think it's cool too that you know it's a race style thing but with a different board every time basically yeah. and so that combination of mental and physical i think is really interesting i also read that for lead climbing and for i think the just the final round of bouldering the contestants or the athletes get six minutes to preview the setup. Oh, cool. So they get to like study it, try to plan their route in advance before it's like a shared time where all the athletes are looking at the same time, six minutes to study it before they compete. Wow. Yeah. So I think that'll be interesting too. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then the other sport, um, again, is a variation on something familiar. (laughs) So, um, three on three basketball. Mm-hmm. It also has some pretty significant rule differences, though. So it's not just three players per team playing regular basketball. Um, the main objects are the same: scoring yeah. points. There's a hoop, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is three players on each team, and they only play on half court. So there's one hoop, and um, apparently the ball is also a little bit smaller, kind of easier to to manage and. Um, that apparently leads to kind of a faster pace mm-hmm. with the game. And also just because you're on half court with one shared hoop, the change from being on offense to defense is like instantaneous. Yeah. So you're not going to see what we see in the NBA where most of the players run down to the other end. Some of them don't bother <laughs> to get back on defense. Yeah. It's like everyone's there all the time. Um, and it just... Um, sounds like it's a really fast-paced, nonstop version of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'll be really interesting. Yeah, and with three people on the court, like I think it's just easier to, you know, break the defense and and probably lots of alley oop chances and and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, for those of you who watched uh, Ice Cube's Big Three League a couple summers ago, um, that's where three on three kind of not (laughs) well it's where it kind of uh got on the map i guess and i Mm -hmm. watched a little bit of that and um the problem was the big three league was made out of like ex-nba players and ex-college players so really you're looking at people in their 40s and sometimes early 50s playing three on three basketball right and people who are used to a certain style of play i imagine so the people who are really just in three on three basketball probably have different game style so the cool thing about 
that was that it was names that you recognize and so forth, but the basketball wasn't as good as it could be. And now um, we're looking at basketball probably as good as it could be. Um, and But I think it's also going to have some names that we don't necessarily recognize. So mm-hmm. Not we'll, yet. See, we'll see how mm-hmm. it goes. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of three-on-three basketball, um, I'm looking at the list of COVID infections of individual athletes and teams. And the first name that popped out is USA's three-on-three basketball star, Katie Lou Samuelson. Um, she's out. Due to COVID. I mean, it's just so heartbreaking for any of these athletes who've trained and trained and trained to not be able to go to this once in a lifetime thing, especially, you know, being deferred for a year. So I'm sure just the gross, you know, the grueling Mm -hmm. uh, training schedule that they've been under for an extra year than what they had planned now to, to not be able to go. Gosh. Well, and they've been looking forward to it in light of COVID, and then they make it almost to that, and that's when they finally get COVID. Yeah. Um, And some of these people who are getting COVID are vaccinated um, as well. And so it's kind of hard to look at it and be like, oh, man. Yeah. Not going. So, I mean, I've heard reports of up to like 60 people being out um and most of these are infections so you know usa by itself has um you know six to ten uh Mm -hmm. competitors out um but there are other um groups of people and we don't even know them all so like i've seen what i looked at today was that um a lot of the names, you know, and numbers that come out, they haven't disclosed like who they are, what sports they mm-hmm. play. And so for some people, they're going to be tuning in to watch their home country and then the people aren't going to be competing. Um, yeah. And maybe it'll be announced by, by then, but uh, yeah, it's kind of tricky. And then you, they aren't even necessarily announcing where they got it and so forth. So I'm guessing the contract tracers are in charge of that and doing their job. But like, mm-hmm. we really don't know what, else could come down the um, pike in the next uh, couple weeks. Yeah. So one of those athletes who's out is one of the alternates for the USA women's gymnastics team. Kara Eaker? Yeah, Kara Eaker. And what I read about that too is that the the primary USA women's gymnastics team are just opting out of Olympic Village. Wow. Um, So it's fortunate that they are able to do that, but you also have to think about not every athlete or every country and their athletes probably have that choice. Right. Um, and so it's going to be really unfortunate um, for the players who, who don't have that option and, and may end up contracting COVID. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's tough to think about. The first reports that we heard were a couple of players, you know, testing positive after they had already entered Olympic mm-hmm. Village. So, you know, there's a risk. Right. Broadly, yeah, you have it, to assume. It, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, what I read today was that Tokyo hit its highest uh, infection rate uh, this week, their highest infection rate since January, that is. Oh, um, mm-hmm. And then because of how vaccine availability is in all other countries, you know, not spelled USA, Tokyo has only 29% of their population that have gotten one or more shots. And so oh, wow. for the workers and and the the, just enormous that people there. that yeah. are supporting it, but also having all these people come in from all over the world, um, there it could con- it likely will continue to be mm-hmm. um, 
a hot spot. Yeah, I guess that makes it puts it in perspective why some people in Tokyo didn't want it to happen. Yeah, they wanted the games called off. Yeah, and you know, I just found this interesting that like Japan and Tokyo did not have the authority to call it off. Yeah, as the hosts, they completely relinquished the decision making authority to the. Um, International Olympic Committee. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, the IOCs, the people who decide, nope, it's going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that we have um, been able to talk about different like sports and so forth. Um, this is the biggest Olympics. Um, there's going to be 339 medal events, which is a record. Mm. And um, some of them are because we got all these new sports. Some of them is because, you know, additional events have been added and mm-hmm. old sports. Um, but uh, I see as early as like this weekend, like there's a lot of preliminary things and there are also uh, medal events starting this weekend as well. And so uh, there'll be medal events every day starting on Saturday, but yeah. some events have already started. There's a yes. game happening right now. Before Mexico, opening ceremony. Yeah, Mexico it's is amazing. playing Canada in softball as we record this. USA has already won two preliminary games in softball. Yeah, um, it's exciting. And here Soccer we are. didn't go so well. No. Which is too bad. It is. The U.S. women's soccer team lost to Sweden, um, which is an unfortunate echo of four years ago, five years ago. Yes, it's really too bad that they lost to the Swedes, who eliminated them last time. And I can see from looking at the international friendlies that the U.S. has played against Sweden over the past few years, we shouldn't have lost, especially by three. Um, But it's just the first of three games that the U.S. will play in Group G, so they can still get enough points to advance to the elimination stages if they beat New Zealand and Australia. Now, I don't know enough about those teams to know if they're good or not, but it did not help that the U.S. lost 3-0 since a tie-breaking scenario would... Uh, bring in goal differential. So they'll need to put up points in their next two games or hope that they and Sweden win out and, and put them in a position to advance. As far as other things to look forward to, this year's got a lot of moms competing. I know one thing you and I have talked about is the interesting phenomenon of how the global movements towards gender equality and maternity leave and things like that play out in the athletic realm. What did you find out on the mom front? So one of the moms that drew my attention was Allison Felix. She is a sprinter for the U.S. team. And um, she uh, actually gave birth in 2018. um, And her daughter, Cameron, was born um, uh, by emergency C-section at 32 weeks. And at the time, she was sponsored by Nike. And... It turned out in 2019, she wrote um, a pretty um, scathing op-ed about her experience um, because, you know, Nike was really not offering any maternity protection to her Mm -hmm. during that time. And um, so, you know, one of the quotes that she had in that op-ed was, I've been one of Nike's most widely marketed athletes. If I can't secure maternity protections, who can? It's a fair question. Um, yeah, so she is now represented, um, or she now represents Athleta, the, uh, other, a different mm-hmm. <laughs> sports brand. Um, and you know, that's kind of part of what that brand is working towards and just being more 
supportive of women. And, and she also, Alison Felix also talked about kind of writing into contracts that she needs to be able to bring her daughter to events and competitions and things like that. And so, um, she's had to really fight for, Mm -hmm. for family protections, um, as a mom and an athlete. It's really smart to be writing into the contracts. Um, it's, you know, probably big picture sad that that has to happen, but Mm -hmm. the fact that she's thinking of it and doing it will ensure that she get, you know, gets those protections, uh, when push comes to shove. Yeah. And kind of, you know, paving the way for future athletes as well. And you mentioned that she was a sprinter. It looks like she is in three events uh, this year, and there's a chance that she can make the finals in all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the 400 meter, the women's four by 400 meter relay, and then the mixed four by 400 meter relay, those are going to be her three. And yeah, it starts this Friday. Yeah. And so, and there's another runner as well on the U.S. team, um, the Olympic marathon trials winner, Alephine Tuliamuk. Uh, and her partner, Tim, they uh, reassessed their family planning timeline when the Olympics were delayed. And um, she actually ended up giving birth to her daughter, Zoe, in January. So she plans to race in the Olympics seven months after giving birth. Not just race, racing in the, well, I guess racing in anything is hard in the Olympics, but yeah. the marathon at that level. Yeah, that is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but you know, you mentioned it just a little after, uh, childbirth, uh, Alex Morgan, um, from the U S women's soccer team, uh, mm-hmm. she was making the news last week cause she was, she wasn't getting an adequate response from the Olympic committee as to whether or not she fit the, um, bill for, or fit the description of a necessity. It's a necessity that she brings her daughter and uh, she said outwardly, like, it's a necessity. I'm nursing her. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring my daughter. Um, but I don't know why I'm not getting a straight answer about this because I'm scheduled to leave in seven days, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she uh, and she did um, bring her daughter. She gave month birth two months ago. Oh, my God. So she is going to be nursing, like, before and after these games, like... It may be on the broadcast. It may be that close. Yeah. These are long games. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, so another um, story that I read a while back um, was about our local Oregonian, Marielle Zagunis, um, who's a fencer. And this is actually going to be her fifth Olympics this year. Um, but the first one as a parent. And one of the struggles that uh, Marielle ran into was qualifying for the Olympics. You know, the, the rules have to do with um, how many, you know, competitions are won and all of that leading up to the games. And um, she wasn't going to make meet those standards because of having had a child and being out on leave and then also in recovery. Um, you know, it takes a while to scale back up to your same athletic level right? Pre, mm-hmm. pre childbirth. And, um, so they really had to, to kind of challenge those rules and say like, you know, look, you got to take this into account when you have women athletes, this is something that might come up and, um, you know, the usual rules aren't going to work. You know, you wouldn't, 
not allow Serena Williams to play, mm-hmm. you know? And so you got to be more inclusive in all of these sports and be more thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll note that Serena Williams opted out of the Olympics this year, citing being a mother. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think she got negative, like directly any sort of answer to suggest that she couldn't bring her daughter, but she basically said, I'm not going to mess with all this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She's been there. <laughs> <laughs> she has. Yeah. But I, I guess my point was that I think other sports had multiple avenues for qualifying when you're clearly yeah. the elite athlete in your sport. Mm-hmm. And fencing just happened to be one that, that didn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting, interesting read. Full disclosure, I happen to know Marielle Zagunas yep. from high school. And you just couldn't root for a better person. Great. She's just wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, you just like to know that you're rooting for a just great human. Yeah. So there's one. It's awesome. Well, I got one more story for you that I think you're going to like. So <clears throat> you know how um, we talked last week about uh, Devin Booker being born in 1996 and that being you know, three years after the Suns most recently went to the NBA yes. Finals. Well, that's because if you're born in 96, you're really young, right? It seems like it to me. Well, what if I told you that there's <laughs> going to be somebody uh, competing in the Olympics that was born in 2008? <sighs> <laughs> what? So it's Hold tough on. to believe. 13? Yes. Years old? Just Who turned 13 two weeks ago. Not even two weeks ago. Newly a teenager, okay. Yes. Um, She was 12 a month ago when she was selected. Um, 12 sounds even younger. (laughs) I know, 12 is shocking. Anyways, so um, her name is Sky Brown, and she'll be competing for Great Britain in one of the new sports, skateboarding. Mm. Um, And so... Really? Yes. And I saw somewhere that she was ranked uh, fourth in the world for women in skateboarding, which... Um, would be shocking, um, especially because uh, she apparently was born in Japan, lives in the U.S., but is com- but is competing for Great Britain because hmm. one of her parents oh okay is from Great Britain, and so I was like, if she's fourth in the world. Why didn't you like the USA Olympic team like try to nab her? So I don't know yeah. how it worked out that way, but either way, um, she's apparently really talented. She has already won Dancing with the Stars Juniors. What? Um, which, um, <laughs> Didn't so know existed, she but can do that's that. great. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> so she just turned 13. Um, and so she's competing for uh, Great Britain, um, but she was born in Japan. And so she gets to compete in the country of her birth. Oh, that's cool. I highly think she will be highlighted in the broadcast. Um but don't look away because she has a younger brother who is also a professional skateboarder who is nine years old. He'll probably tell you he's nine and a half because that's how people <laughs> under 10 talk. But he also um, uh, will likely be in the next Olympics, I'm told. Um, and her brother's name is, of course, Ocean Brown. Nice. Um, so it's Sky and Ocean. And apparently he is worth $1.5 million because... Apparently, these two have a very successful YouTube channel. Wow. Who knew? Yeah. Got to watch more YouTube. Maybe. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, that you'll be able to 
uh, watch. If you don't catch them live, you'll be able to watch their yeah. uh, competitions there. And so, yeah, I think that one's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I don't think I was going to turn into skateboarding um, mm-hmm. normally. Like I'm not somebody who watches the X Games and so forth. But for this particular um, um, novelty, I will. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Talented people out there. Yep. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end to what I expect to be the first of three episodes about the Olympics. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we're really excited to check in again after we've watched um, the... We're really excited to check in with you again once we've had a chance to watch some of the early prelims and early games. And what we'll know next week that we don't know this week is we're we're going to learn new things about how the broadcasts are being shown, how things are being scheduled, and of course, how um, competitors are emerging towards the finals and the medal events mm-hmm. in uh, their sports. Yeah, it's an exciting time. So please subscribe and give us a good rating wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at CareMoreSports and let us know what you'd like to hear more about and what your favorite lawn game is. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.